This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. This is a special co-production of the Fedora Chronicles and the Diesel-Powered Podcast. Men in the High Castle Review and Analysis. Season 2, Episode 1, The Tiger's Cave. Boss Larry from the Diesel-Powered Podcast and I, Eric Reiner-Kingfisk, from the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show and the Metaphysical Connection, get into it about the first episode of the newest season of Men in the High Castle and what we can look forward to in episodes to come. We also have some surprises and some guests, so let's get started. Long live the resistance. Uh, as always, I'm talking to, uh, from the Diesel Powered Podcast, I'm ca- talking to my good friend, Larry. Uh, say hello, Larry. Hello, Larry. He's an oldie but a goodie, just like me. Okay. All right, and off in the corner here, I have my young son, Tumblefisk, who is going to be listening in, and he's learning all the ins and outs of the podcast. Harrison, say hello. Hi. By the way, Larry, do you have anybody there in the background with you? Oh, yeah, my wife, Kathy, is with me today. Say hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's, everybody's <laughs> using that classic George Burns joke. So I think what we wanted to do is just let everybody know that what we what we are doing for I believe for the next ten episodes this is this is a spe- this is a mini series just like the Man in the High Castle, and we are going to be talking uh, about each and every episode of the Man in the High Castle season two. So and if you have not seen season one, uh, take take a minute and go back and and and, and watch it. Do yourself a favor. And uh, and definitely try and keep up. And if you, and and if you have seen all the other episodes, you know, watch them again before before each week's episode. And this episode is season two, episode one. I believe the episode, the title of the episode is "The Tiger's Cage." Tell me if I'm wrong, Larry. You're at, at the Tiger's Cave. The Tiger's then, Cave. Yeah, Tiger's Cave. Yeah, I'm not. Seems like it should be Tiger's Cage, but I found a. Uh, uh, it's Tiger's Cave for some reason. Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite sure. You know, looking back on the episode, I was watching again before we came on here. I couldn't quite. The name didn't quite fit to me. I'm not quite sure where they got the name. Could you tell where they got the name for the? This episode? See, that's the reason why I made the big, huge mistake in calling it the Tiger's Cave. I don't know if that makes any sense or not, because the thing is, it it makes more sense to call it the Tiger's Cage, with everything that's going on. You're you're right, it's the Tiger's Cave, as in a cave in a wall of a mountain. Uh, It is like that. It's not a Tiger's Cage. I'm not quite sure. I'm not even sure where the Tiger came in. Well, um, it, it just seems like everybody is is like uh, top of the food chain predators who are mm. in their own sort of um, cages of their own making. But that doesn't make sense because the name of the title is Tiger's Cave, and it was like every time I I, I talk about this episode, I keep going, I keep saying Tiger's cage and not the correct tiger's cave i'm not i and yeah. it would make more sense that it's like because the thing is every every all the major players in this episode they all seemed like caged tigers 
And mm. they all seem to have, like I had said, they all seem to be um, top of the food chain as far as their little niche in uh, in in whether it's like the the, the 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 Nazi hierarchy or in the resistance or whatever. And it seems like this is not a good episode for any of the characters. I I don't think. I think that it was just like it started. It's starting the season off great because everybody's in trouble. But I'm getting ahead of myself. You wanted to talk about, of all things, the opening song. And why is it different from last season, Larry? Well, um, I know, well, one, they play the whole song. Uh, you know, one thing I talked about last, uh, on the, uh, when we wrapped up season one, was like, oh, it's so cool. They've, uh, they, uh, it's disjointed. They've broken out certain uh, lyrics, uh, and uh, or not part of it, and and this time they played the whole song. I, I, I was very, I, I was very surprised by that. I was very surprised by that. And the thing is, is that did you notice the footage in the background as well? It's changed, hasn't it? It, it has significantly. Uh, they show the destruction of uh, DC. Uh, they show the presence of Berlin. Of the newly rebuilt, uh, Nazified Berlin. Yeah. Uh, some addition, and oh, and did you notice the sun rises in the west? I did. That did seem quite. <laughs> I mean, I did notice that, and it was like, is this trying? Is is this a subtle way to tell us that we're in an alternate dimension, or? <laughs> Or yeah, or just that the fact that Western United States is owned by Japan. That yeah. then they show Japan. Then they show San Francisco and the uh, yeah. zeros flying over it. Yeah. So what what was the most significant part of of the show? As in like, because um, it picks up almost like like a minute or two after um, the final episode of last season, which I did finally get to see, and and I was. Uh, yep, uh, it did end in a cliffhanger, but not the cliffhanger I thought it did. My, oh, hold on a second. Harrison wants to ch- chime in and say something here about Man in the High Castle. Yeah. I love Man in the High Castle. It is so cool. So very cool. And, and I think very the cool. I, th- I think the cool thing is is that and this and I, this is not important to the show, but Harrison and I will be sitting on the couch or we'll be sitting somewhere in the living room with her fedoras on, <laughs> you know, because. <laughs> Because, because we feel as if we're invested in the show, at least after 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 season one. So what what else happened in the beginning of the show, Larry, that you thought was important to bring up? Wow, the, I mean, there's um, well, one they show they, we meet the man in the high castle. I was just saying the man that the show is named after. Uh, I was a little surprised that they showed him so early in the season. He was not what I thought they were you know you have an idea in your mind's eye what a care uh, you know a mysterious character might look like and to show him as this kind of frumpy dumpy type of guy that, that was completely different I mean I, I recognize the actor and I can't think of his name offhand I know him He's from a, a couple of sitcoms but that's all I know him from 
He's sitcoms. He was in the first season of True Blood as that poor vampire that got killed early on. They were they had uh, tortured him and used his uh, drained his blood and then ended up killing him early on. Um, he plays a lot of secondary uh, supporting roles. It's a character actor. Uh, he never plays. Yeah, and I, I can't think of his name. Um, might be able to find him on the uh, on the our good lord wiki. Uh, <laughs> our wiki, uh, who are on the internet, hollow would be thy search engine. <laughs> uh, so, um, but I thought there was. A, I also found uh, Hitler's reaction to the film fascinating. Um, he was an, he was unusual in how he some treaties he didn't care obviously about there was this ruses to get his way you know like the treaty was the Soviet Union but they say he was very much adamant with his treaty with the Middle Eastern countries and refused to violate them even though he would have had uh, easy access to the oil. If he had just pushed his way through, through let's say uh, Turkey, for example. So the fact that he gets really angry and just loses it when he sees over something. seeing the film of the destruction of San Francisco. Yes, I found very very interesting. Now, let's also add here that Hitler is watching in this episode, episode one of season two. He is watching the MacGuffin of season one. Everything was about this one roll of film or this one reel of film that Juliana and Joe had. And it, there was a kind of like a tug and war back and forth about this one particular reel of film that does indeed eventually wind up in Adolf Hitler's hands. I thought that was very sort of like and when he sees it and he doesn't like what he sees and he totally flips out and he has you, you know, the, like, like the, those funny meme um uh, you know, Hitler flipping out over something that happened like he, like in the here and now, like uh, one of my favorite ones is like it's from uh, it's from the movie Downfall and it, it's Hitler in the bunker. And uh, one of my favorite ones is that when when Adolf Hitler finds out that there are no more tickets to the Justin Bieber concert. <laughs> you can laugh. Justin Bieber. That's funny. <laughs> so he's like, that's funny. And he's and he's flipping out. He's waving his hand crazy and his gun. Oh Christ! What am I going to do? It's like I'm not going to know. It's like I'm not going to be able to get to the to the to the Alba reunion concert. She's so there. And it's like it's just totally flipping out. And it reminded me of the, the of that little scene in Downfall. And I, I wonder if it's the same guy playing Hitler because they look and act so much alike. But it was just like, that's the thing that surprised me the most about the first part of this episode. Go ahead. No, no, that was fascinating. Yeah, it's a good point. I think, I think this actor is fantastic. He plays a difficult part because he's a historical character 
and that makes his role, in my opinion, as an actor, more difficult than the ones that were written for the show. Uh, he's got to make us believe that he is an elderly Hitler. With Parkinson's. And Let's not forget that. I think that he's a fascinating actor. I think he has a very difficult role. Now, it's interesting how the development of the resistance with um, some of the new characters and the loss of some old characters. Um, the addition of Gary uh, to the role in, as uh, the, um, the new resistance character. The one that has Juliana in the back of the in the trunk of the car, yeah, and plans to kill her. Uh, the death of Karen in the crossfire with Kimpate. That they've just written now. They've written out her character for season in episode one. I'm a little surprised. I thought she would have had more of a role. Maybe she wanted to move on to another uh, gig or something. And but uh, oh. Oh, and uh, the trade minister's name, I think his name is Takome. Yeah, Mr. Takome. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, we know the cliffhanger from last season where he wakes up in the, what to them is an alternate San Francisco. Our San Francisco from the 1950s and early 60s. Yeah, our San Francisco, and he gets this wonderful grin on his face as he sees you know this alternate American with uh, that w the wonderful anarchy and chaos of uh, our San Francisco but now he's back in his San Francisco and um, he's confused he doesn't look too happy either because it's like he doesn't seem like he's happy to be back in his world if that makes any sense. I agree. He even says meditation didn't bring me peace. Quite the opposite. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the realization is that his world is the one that's like really messed up. And the thing is, is that there's fascism and there's oppression in San Francisco. And when he visits the other version, um, and I'm going to get to that. In, I'm going to get to something else about this episode that I thought that I thought was very intriguing. Whereas it was like he saw a different version of San Francisco, the one without the oppression, without the fascism, and without the chaos. And there was all these bright lights and, and the sun now it, did the sun seem a little clearer and did the sun seem a little brighter? It it was it, it's like all the colors had a lot more saturation to them when he was crossing over. So one of the things I really wanted to uh, mention here as far as we're talking about the man in the high castle, the character, not the, the, not the TV show as a whole. The man in the high castle, um, I'm not sure if I can remember what his name is. You'll look it up for me on, on Internet Movie Database. But he made it perfectly clear that, that he is t somehow he's stealing films or he's capturing films from not just one alternate dimension he is able to tap into other multiple versions of the historical earth up to his time period whereas uh, you're absolutely right yeah 
And that's one of the things that it's like I, I that they alluded to in the original book written by Philip K. Dick, which I thought was really interesting. And uh, yeah, indeed. In fact, uh, we're going to talk later on that where they uh, tie in a little bit more from the book into the series uh, later on in future episodes. Um, but yeah, he definitely says there are multiple multiple alternatives some people are happy some people are sad some people are uh good some are bad and he said some of it had to do with whether they're fat or starving something to that effect and uh but he sees these alternate and he implies he sees juliana's death that i thought was uh, fascinating as well and terrifying as he is walking out right before Gary walks in and shoots her again. Um, that was almost a, uh, I'm not sure I would say a Twilight Zone, almost a Twin Peaks moment when she got gets shot for the first time by Gary. Yep. And has this flashback to her childhood and ending with her being hit by the bus and it going in and like a film that's been the, uh, you know that it gets. Remember how back in high school you'd or you'd watch a you know film day, and it get stuck in front of the lamp. Yes. Whereas is like the 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 film would would be destroyed um, mm. because it would get stuck and and of course these these are hot intense bright lights, and mm. if if you stick on one one frame for too long it will burn out by the way just as a, a quick aside um the character of the man in the high castle the character's name is hawthorne i'm sorry yes hawthorne aberdson and uh he's a recluse he's hiding out somewhere we don't know where because we witness juliana being kidnapped dragged to the location where he has all the films and because she saw the film that she was never supposed to see, the MacGuffin from season one, she's asked to uh, talk about the film frame by frame. And he's trying to piece together the alternate realities and who, what what's the fate of other people in their reality from other realities. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. If this is not a if if this is this is like. The whole thing with, you know, Philip K. Dick and talking about alternate realities and or what is reality. This is like right out of the Twilight Zone. Now, do we want to talk about Oban um, Gubenfuhrer Smith and talk about what's going on with him? Oh, absolutely. Uh, he's a, you know, he is such an important part of the TV, of the uh, Amazon series. He's purely a, a character of the series and uh no way ties into the novel um yes absolutely let's talk about john smith i love that name that's so american john smith and then when you consider what he is you know that's just i think that's fascinating he's a quintessential that, american nazi yeah i mean he's so american and that's kind of the cre a little bit of the creepy speaking of creepy if i'm talk let's talk about his family it opens with his son and at high school <laughs> yeah and and uh um i i and i have a clip and i'm going to insert it later when they do the pledge of allegiance mm -hmm. 
And it was just like how different it is from the Pledge of Allegiance that we speak, you know, or we used to recite in school. I swear I will observe the law, conscientiously fulfill my duties at home and school, be faithful and obedient, and pledge absolute allegiance until death to the leader of the Nazi Empire, Adolf Hitler. Uh, yeah, ever so slightly uh, different. Uh, and the thing is, is that if you listen to their version of the Pledge of Allegiance, what are they pledging to? They're pledging obedience to the Nazi empire. It's all about obedience and following laws. And it's all about it's obedience, obedience, obedience. Whereas it's like it's it, it's the word obedient or the synonyms for obedient ha is is repeated several times during that pledge. And the thing is that you can tell that it's like everybody seems to be indoctrinated except for like, and there's a smart ass. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but in the room, there's like one smart ass in particular. He doesn't have any lines, but you can tell that he's kind of like, you know, he's like one of those guys. Um, and I also thought it was uh, funny how uh, the, the revisionist history or I mean, or is it revisionist history about, you know, how many slaves did um, uh, Washington and um, the other president, um, how, Jefferson, how, Jefferson how, how many how many slaves did they have? And that was really sort of important. That, that, that was I found that it. Did you did you fact check that? I didn't. Did you fact check whether or not uh, that was accurate? I mean, I think it would be funny to, to, to ask how many slaves, how many slaves did Washington own? I wonder how many. Holy cow. Wow. Listen to this. I just, I, 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 I just looked this up and it was when okay. Washington was 11 years old, he inherited 10 slaves by the time, mm. by the time of his death. 318 slaves lived at Mount Verdon, including 123 owned by Washington, 40 leased from his from a neighbor, an additional 153 donor slaves. Wow. I see. Thomas said he owned 300. And so, then so maybe he, was he right. said that Jefferson had 600. And I, I suspect it's accurate. They they do good work. Did you notice the name of the high school? Um, Fritz Julius Kuhn. I was going. There has to be something inside on this that name. Uh, my wife Kathy looked it up for us before the show. Oh great! Tonight. He was the leader of the German American Bund, pro Nazi uh, group in the nineteen thirties in the, here in America. See that now? That's an important fact. I mean, that's that's so intriguing that they, you know, they had this high school named after this creep. <laughs> <laughs> what else can you call it? <laughs> but I mean, the, the entire notion of uh, of that there are so many details in the show that it's like you have to stop and you have to watch and you have to look it up. And the leader of the Nazi Bund has a high school named after him in this alternate alternate America. Which sort of like leads me to believe that it was like now, now here's a question for you and, and talking about the show 
Do you think that with all these alternate versions, is their world exactly the same leading up to certain events that flipped in World War II? Like, like all, the, all these other alternate worlds are exactly the same with the exception of different events and different outcomes in World War II and then other events, obviously, afterwards. Is that a possibility? Hmm. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. I don't know. Let's ask our expert here, sitting here in the corner in his gray fedora. So, Harrison, what do you think? Do you think they're all... Do you think that's like they're all the same exact alternate Earths, except for a couple of events in World War II, or what? What do you think? Um, I'm kind of confused. Yeah, me, I am too. So, I th- yeah, I think everybody gets confused, including the man in the high castle himself. You mean you mean Harthorn, who is obviously definitely sort of uh, like he's trying to try to piece everything together with all of these yeah. films. And I- it might be what's driven him a little mad. Can you blame him? Is he, he's seen too much. He doesn't know what's real. And uh, and uh, and of course, some of the horrifying futures might have seen his own death. Yeah, could you imagine um, though? Or worse. Could you imagine um, seeing your own death in an alternate reality? I think that that would mess me up. Well, Frank did. Yeah. Uh, in that film that he, that Joe. Uh, took with him. Uh, Frank saw his own death as he was lined up with the rest of the resistance to get his brain, brains blown out. Yeah, he saw he saw himself from an alternate timeline being shot by Joe from the same alternate timeline being lined up. You know, had you know, you know, got on his knees and had his head you know uh, shot. But and, they, they and we don't know if it is an alternate timeline. Here's a question for you, and and talking about Frank, um, mm-hmm. played by Rupert Evans, and have you noticed something happens to a lot of the characters after they've seen the film, especially Frank? Frank was mm-hmm. this guy who, you know, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to mess with anything. This mo- this th- this film is illegal. Let's just go along to get along. I don't want to get into trouble. As soon as he sees the film, he becomes a, a tougher version of himself. He becomes emboldened. Mm-hmm. He actually becomes almost a hero. Mm-hmm. In sense, so yeah. yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. That's interesting. Is do you think that that's an aspect that's going to be played out later on in season two? Yeah, I think so. I think they're going to find that the films are starting now to influence history. Yeah. Uh, and influencing and, kinda, and influencing people who view it as well. Mm-hmm. Some will be self-fulfilling prophecies. Uh, some might actually change the course of future history. Uh, they imply that there's some cushiness between realities because uh, Trudy she's dead but she's been seen again alive yes Glimpsed. Now, and the thing is is that, that from and that's that's from one of the final episodes from from last season and we're wondering we're left wondering okay is, are is the 
is the 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 boundary between alternate realities malleable and the the notion that juliana is able to see her sister walking the streets of san francisco in that market and we're wondering, it's like, is it an illusion or is it really, is it really her? Did she really not die? Is it her from another dimension? Is Juliana looking at her sister from another dimension? You, you don't know. And, and, and one of the things about Philip K. Dick is that he likes to screw with the readers and he likes to screw with the readers and the, and the idea and the notion of what's real, what's reality. Like in Blade Runner, the original, the original story to Android's dream of electric sheep, mm-hmm. Philip Dick K. Dick played with the notion of like, what's a real human being? Mm-hmm. What's what's the difference between um, a, a person who is who is born natural ways and and an almost an exact copy of a person that was concocted in a lab somewhere with. Uh, implanted memories and whatnot. Philip K. Dick really sort of plays with the whole notion. And it's like, and if you check out the original story and one of the director's cuts, whereas Harrison Ford's character, Deckard, he's not even sure if whether or not is, is he a person? Is he a replicant? What is he? And, and, and how long do we, if I, if I'm a replicant, how long do I have to live? How do I know that my memories aren't implanted? How do any of us know, and I know that this sounds crazy, but how do, how do we know that this is the right reality or this is the proper reality that we belong in? How do we know that we're not living in somebody else's alternate reality or alternate timeline? And with this TV show, they're really messing with the viewers and, and forcing us to ask some really intelligent questions. And the idea that this is historical alternate future, alternate past fiction. It's also, it's also great science fiction. I think it's the best science fiction I've seen on TV in a couple of years. Oh, I agree. I agree with everything you said. That's really well said. I think Philip K. Dick, I've thought about this. Would Philip K. Dick like this series? I think he would for the very things you were just talking about. I think, I think he would yeah. like the fact that it's kind of uh, you mentioned Twilight Zone early on, and he was good about messing with your mind, you know, um, making you think. And he showed alternate histories, alternate futures, past. I think uh, all that Philip K. Dick would like this a lot. I think that, that he would be happy that this is the most faithful interpretation of his work it's not exact loyal you know page for page word for word event for event translation but it's the essence of man in the high castle the original book is very similar in the sense that it pushes the boundaries asking questions about reality Mm -hmm. so uh so further on so juliana goes to see the, the quote, the man in the high castle, this guy who is hiding out somewhere. He has like an abandoned warehouse somewhere full of these movies year after year after year. And it never, and maybe I missed something. It never explains to the viewer. Where did these movies come from? I don't think anybody knows. 
at this point. I don't think anybody knows. That's part of the mystery. I hope they leave it some mystery on that. I'll tell you right now, I was a little disappointed they've already revealed the man in the high castle. Well, that means that he's going to have to show up time and again. True. In, in the not-too-distant future. I agree. Or the- I was just a little disappointed they already revealed him so soon. I would have liked to have seen a little more mystery uh, to him. Uh, but that's just... You know, hey, you know, that's not neither here really, really there. Um, but yeah, you're right. He's kind of hiding away in this barn, almost. Yeah, like in a bar, like abandoned. It was like um like a Quonset hut, like a military Quonset hut. For like you know like planes, like it's like an like an old airplane hangar. That's hiding out in the middle of the woods somewhere on the top of a hill, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I really wanted to sort of like poke at here, um, because we, you know, we wanted to keep it under a half hour or forty-five minutes, and that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh, do we do we have a couple of minutes to talk about? Uh, do we want? Is there anything that we can say about Joe? Oh, he's a complicated character to me. Um, I get the feeling that, you know, he was raised, you know, his mother was probably anti-Nazi because we uh, we find out later on a little bit more about Joe's life. Don't want to go into now about his childhood and origins and all. Uh, But it's like he wants to be a Nazi. And then he sees what they're like, like when the boat is blown up after they paid the ransom for him and the film. And now suddenly, well, I don't want to be a Nazi anymore. It's the film. It's it's the film. The film screwed him up. I, yeah. He, he saw it. Well, he saw something he didn't like. Yeah. And so, but that's, that's all part of being a little SS Nazi. And he seems to build back and forth between, he's pulled. And I guess years, you know, being born and bred with all the propaganda. And, and now, then he sees the dark underbelly truth of the system. And he goes back and forth between the propaganda pool and then seeing the reality of it back and forth. Um, No, I'm glad you brought up Joe. I think he's an interesting character. Very tortured um, character. I I think that I think another thing that's really sort of like disturbing about all this and and, and it does it the entire series revolves around the films and, and and I'm wondering if as the, as the show progresses into season two, into season two, I'm saying this half heartedly because I mean, I know what, I know what's going to happen, but, but the, the, the question that I have for a lot of, for the show in general is that, is this going to become a case where everything becomes more and more ambiguous? 
as the season progresses? Are we going to start seeing people start to blur the lines? Because you look at the resistance fighters, the resistance fire, fighters, and sort of like, you know, if I can just dip and dabble into um, Rogue One for a second, not all the people in the rebellion in Rogue One were really good people. They were not nice guys. They were just, they were, they were fighting against the oppression of the Empire for whatever reason. Here in Man in the High Castle, you have the resistance and the, and the American partisan fighters, and not all of them are good people. There are people who have, they're morally gray or morally black. I mean, they don't think anything about killing somebody who they, they don't know if they're a good person or not. They don't know if they're really on their side. And the definition of what's a good person is really all about a matter of perspective. I hate Nazis. I'm sorry. I hate Nazis. And the thing is that it's like, for me, right or wrong, I, I, don't, I don't care. I like the resistance. I like the idea of being a resistance fighter. And I like being, I mean, you look at somebody like Frank and his evolution, where he's gone from milk toast to being this guy in a black jacket who's kicking ass and taking names and, and putting himself out there on the front line. I think that that's the kind of person that I would be in that kind of environment. But it's like, you look at this, there are Nazis who are doing good things because they want to stop fascism or they want to just stop doing this horrible thing. Or if, And we'll talk about the Heisenberg. The last thing we're going to talk about is the Heisenberg device. Right. But the entire notion is that a lot of people are looking at their station in life and they're thinking, dude, this is not cool. This, this is not cool. We need to do something about this. So... And we're talking about, so the last thing I think I want to bring up is the Japanese, on the one hand, we saw in one of the films, we saw the alternate version of San Francisco being destroyed by a nuclear weapon, which I'm, I'm going to assume now is a Heisenberg device. I might be yeah, wrong. Yeah, that's what I understand. Well, you got to remember Heisenberg was the uh, scientist that was working during the war for the Germans to help them to try to create a Heisenberg, uh, an atomic bomb. Um, he told them we can't do it. It's not possible. But I understand that that's why they call it the Heisenberg device. It's a nod back to Heisenberg's activity uh, during the war on the German side to build an atomic bomb early on, early in the war, before at, before he fled to the West. Yeah. So, and obviously a lot of that is like, well, it, you know, in this alternate reality, Heisenberg never left Germany and he was able to complete right. his work in <laughs> Nazi Germany. So the thing is, is that the Heisenberg device, I think... If I was to make a guess as somebody who has not seen the rest of the season, I would have to say the Heisenberg device or the plans of the Heisenberg device is going to play into the story for season two. And and I got a feeling we're looking at eventually an all-out war between uh, Imperial Japan and the Nazi Empire. I, I think I think it's inevitable. Well, that's the, well, that's the fear. And, and by the way, I correct myself. He did not defect to the West. He w did work on the German project during the war. Uh, 
um, after the war, he uh, it was uh, that was different. But during the war, he did work on the German attempt, the, the nuclear weapon project. I take that back. I was wrong. But I agree with you. Um, I think um, now I don't know. I think the goal here because remember the film that the that the man in the high castle Hawthorne when he showed her when he showed Juliana the picture who is this man who is this man because every film he said in which the Japanese run the war and in which the A-bomb the Heisenberg device because that's what the westerners call it the A-bomb the Japanese and the Germans call it the Heisenberg device um Every time that A-bomb is used on San Francisco, this man, I think he says he dies. I forget which it is. He either lives or dies. Um, so I think that's part of the drama. Will they be able – because the, the, the Japanese now have stolen plans for their own atomic bomb. Okay. Yeah. Uh so they're hoping to generate at least maybe a uh, their own equivalent of a Cold War or mutual assured destruction. That's inevitable. Yeah, okay. the Cold yep. War that played Where, out. I'm going. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, maybe it'll maybe it'll get hot, but it'll never get so hot that they blow each other up. Yeah, I, um, and, and I think that the Cold War that played out between the Americans and the Soviet Union is going to play out between the Nazi empire and Imperial Japan. I, I think that's inevitable. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in Man in the High Castle. So, sure. so anyway, do you have any final words on season two, episode one, the tiger's cave? No, um, <laughs> I don't. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it a second time before we had our uh, before we talked tonight. Um, it's a, fan, I, I think a fantastic season. I look forward to talking about the uh, other episodes as we go along. Uh, uh, my wife Kathy thinks that the cave, the Tiger's Cave, is the location where the is a reference to uh, the hideout for the man in the high castle. I think maybe um, she might be right. She might be right. We'll see. We'll see later on how that plays out. Harrison, do you, do you have something that you want to say about this episode? Um, no, not really. <laughs> he's funny. He's <laughs> well, falling good, asleep. Good, Harrison. Here. Um, good, good job. Uh, oh, and before we go, I note that, uh, the, uh, let's see, variety the you know the magazine for the uh, entertainment industry has announced that they've already greenlit season three for Man in the High Castle. I, I'm 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 on the one hand I'm a little apprehensive because obviously we have another <laughs> we have a, a a whole season to go through. We have nine more episodes yeah. to go through, and uh, I'm excited. And at the same time, I'm a little scared. I'm a little because the thing is, is that. I care about I, I care about these people. I care about all these characters. I even care about Oban Gubin Fuhrer Smith, 
to a, to a large extent. I care about him and I want to see, you know, how does he make it out and is he is he going to flip? So, well, uh, so it gets, it's pretty exciting, I tell you what. And I keep holding my breath. I go, please don't let it jump to shark. Please don't let it jump to shark. And um, it's pretty. I think I look forward to talking to you about some of the uh, some of the, the follow up episodes here. Uh, I think it's going to be some interesting conversations you and I are going to have. So some somebody does have something to say. Go ahead, Harrison. Um. I didn't exactly watch the whole thing through. Uh, did the, uh, it's one of the main characters, uh, he's like a little not, well, one of the commandos, and his son has like this very bad disease. Um, uh. did the son die yet? No, the son is not dead yet. Okay. That's a really good question. And, uh, though he, you're right, uh, your dad's right, he hasn't died yet, but that's an important thread that we forgot to mention. It, what's going to happen with the kid? I think that that's an important thing yeah. that we need to ask. How, what's yeah. going to happen to the kid? And and uh, you know, I mean, and we care. I mean, I mean, here, I mean, here's the thing, and here's one of the reasons why I am so attached to um, uh, uh, Smith is because I have two boys. I have two boys that I really care about, and if one, if my son was sick, uh I, I I couldn't I couldn't put him to sleep I couldn't put him to death I I would I would forget I'd hide him somewhere I'd hide him in the basement and instead of letting the Nazis get to him I would never let anything like that happen and that's a scary thing. So, what is John Smith, a uh, true blue Nazi, going to do um, in response to this? That's, that's fascinating. And and in I know we've talked so much, but to mention this. The characters aren't all black and white. Yeah. They're human. And I think that's really a positive statement about the writers of this show. There's some definite, genuine uh, moral ambiguity going on here. Everybody has various shades of gray and black and white. And sometimes the black and white does not align with my black and white. Uh, Speaking about, like, uh, Nazis and stuff. I actually speak some German. Yeah, he's studying German for some reason. I'm not sure cool. why. So he's he's pretty intense into that. So anyway, we are going to sign off for for now, and um, tune in next week um, where we are going to discuss episode two of season two of Man in the High Castle. And uh, it's been a great episode. It's been a great show. This has really been exciting. And I think that what we're going to do is Harris and I are going to probably jump right off. Uh, and we're probably going to like re I'm going to rewatch episode two right away. Well, you betcha. And uh, everybody, it's been fun. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much, Larry. And uh, stay true and um, long live the resistance. <laughs> Not y'all. Be sure to check out the Diesel Punk Podcast, starring Big Daddy Cool, Boss Larry, Daisy O'Dare, with Eric Fisk, that's me, DJ Swag Commander, and more guests. Each podcast will bring you the news from the Diesel Punk community, movie and book reviews, music picks, interviews, and other fun segments. Diesel Punk is a celebration of the retrofuturism of the 20s and 50s. The genre asks, what if... 
and presents the future of tomorrow through yesterday's eyes. The visual aesthetics incorporate elements of Art Deco, Noir, Prohibition, Flappers, Gangsters, and the World Wars combined with sci-fi, fantasy, magic, alt history, and the future technology to create a unique and distinct genre. So check it out at dieselpoweredpodcast.com. Once again, this has been the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show. You can support us by making a donation via paypal.me slash Fedora Chronicles. We thank you in advance for any support you have to offer. You're the reason why we do the show, and we appreciate your help in keeping the lights on. You can also support the show by buying our products at zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. We have countless of products with our logos on them, and we also take special requests. If you have an idea for a product, design, slogan, whatever, let us know. You can get in touch with us via the Fedora Chronicles Twitter and Facebook pages. That's a great way to suggest future topics, tell us what you like about the show, or just keep in touch. We'll even read some of your comments on the air. Finally, thank you once again for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. This is Eric Renderking Fisk signing off. Keep your chins up and your fedoras on.